Good morning. So has your mind been focused on Christ today with the songs? You've been reminded of what you have in Him and who He is in your life? I hope that uh, it's been encouraging to you this morning. It's, it's been encouraging to me to, to be singing about Him. I hope that you had a, a great spring break, if you had one, and uh, that your weekend is going well. I want to invite your attention back to the book of Colossians. We're going to begin chapter 2 here in, uh, in just a few minutes. Colossians chapter 2. We've been uh, in and out of Colossians uh, over the last few months, and we're going to come to a point in, uh, in our text today that is a very personal account for Paul. In fact, if you read all of the book of Colossians, these words are probably some of the most personal. And to put it in its context, remember, he is writing a letter to a church in the city of Colossae. And so this would be modern-day Turkey, not far from Ephesus. If you remember, there was a letter that he wrote to Ephesus as well. And so he's writing to a people whom he's heard about, but that he's not ever met. He's only met a couple of them. He met Epaphras and one of the other guys when when they were up in Ephesus. But now he's hearing about them as a church. He's hearing about what they're struggling with. And we've we've looked at that the last few weeks. Some of the the other teaching that is in their community that might might be of a concern. and, And that he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He doesn't want them to give up. And so he writes this part of the letter in a way that really bears his heart before them. He shows how much he cares about them, how much he cares about them as a church and their well-being. And so we're going to be reading those words in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want to introduce you to a couple of congregations that mean a whole lot to me, even though I know you haven't met them in person, I hope that they will be congregations that, that you will feel a connection to. And the reason I want to do this is because as we read Paul's letter to this church, and we know that he hadn't been there, but he he cared for them, that we also, as a a congregation, can feel that same kind of of concern for the well-being of a sister congregation. So let's do it this way. On the screen, I want to put up, uh, I'm going to ask the guys to put up the church in Athens that is Arabic-speaking. And I want to introduce you to Pastor Abdin. Abdin is a good friend of mine. When we lived in Athens... From 2009 to 2013, he was one of the, the men that I, that, I, that I labored with, co-labored with in ministry. And we were able to plant a congregation that speaks Arabic. Now, I didn't speak Arabic, but thankfully, Abdin does. He grew up in the Nubia mountain range of where Sudan went through a civil war. That's where he's from. And so he came to Athens as, a, as, a, as an immigrant and as a believer and is one who, who has the gifts of pastoring and teaching. And, and so, so we, we, we work together to plant an Arabic-speaking congregation. If you can imagine, people coming to faith in Christ, most of them coming out of a Muslim background, and having an opportunity to worship and sing songs in their native heart language, like we have been doing this morning. In fact, if you could see the words on the screen behind him there with the guitar, it's all in Arabic. And they're, they're, they're singing in their heart language. And when he's preaching and teaching, it's done in a language that they understand. Not through translation, but him speaking and preaching. Let me give you another example. This is the, the, um, the Iranian congregation. And so this is Pastor Monacher. And the picture on the left was when we were installing him as the pastor of this new congregation. All made up of people from Iran. Most of them, a Muslim background, new believers in Christ. In fact, you can see uh, the lower right-hand picture is a a picture of them being baptized. And so there was, was, I think, 10 that day. 
And so I visited him this last June. It may be one of the largest evangelical churches in Athens right now. They, they, they are running out of room. There are so many. They're coming to faith in Christ in, a, in amazing ways. God is, is working among the Persian peoples. If you haven't, haven't heard much about that, you can, you, can, you can read about it. God is at work. And so here they have a pastor who, who teaches and preaches in and, and, and the language that they've grown up in. They're able to sing songs of praise. And, and I'll tell you, when you're in the church and when we're singing, they're singing their, their songs of praise, they don't sound like American hymns translated into Farsi. They are their own sound. They're their own, their own uh, uh, rhythms. That's their own worship unto the Lord. It's just beautiful, beautiful to hear. And in fact, sometimes Monacher would, would tell me what some of the words were, and, and so it's just, just amazing. But those are two congregations filled with young believers, new believers that are, that are learning and, and growing in Christ, that have just been introduced to Him, just starting their spiritual walk. And so here's the, here's the assignment that I want you to think about. If you were asked to pull out a piece of paper and a pen and write these congregations a letter, what would you tell them? How would you encourage them, knowing that they are people living in a country that, that is foreign to them, knowing that they're beginning a new walk with, 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 a, with, with, with Christ, who is, who is now their Savior and Lord? What would you want to tell them? How would you encourage them to, to keep pressing on, to not lose heart? How would you encourage them to interact with one another? What would be the words that you would say? You see, Paul is writing a letter to a church filled with new believers, young believers, that are they're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ. And there are some things that he writes at the beginning of chapter 2 that are very important to him. And so thinking about those churches, thinking about, uh, about uh, the church in Colossae that he's writing to, and now bringing it into this room and thinking about each other. Here we are, a church family that God has brought together. And uh, in many ways, we're a new church family, right? Being brought together for a new season of ministry. What might God have for us to pull out of chapter 2 today that would help us in our journey together as a church, but also in our personal walk with Him? With that in mind, let's look at chapter 2. And as I said, you're going to notice that these are very personal words that he writes. And we see, first of all, that, that, that Paul wants to see the church united in Christ. He wants to see them together, encouraged. He wants to see them stable based upon their identity in Christ. And so as we read these first few verses, you're going to see how he ties all of that together. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. You heard that before? That's Laodicea is a, a, a nearby town that he's heard of. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you may recall in chapter 1, Paul was, was concerned that this other group of people, the, the ones known as the Gnostics, we've, we've kind of referenced them as the know-it-alls, remember that thought they had this higher spiritual knowledge that they pulled from different sources, that that might confuse this young church 
about who Christ was and who Christ is to them as, as followers. And so, so he's agonizing, he's struggling to make sure that they have stability, that they're not going to be confused, that they're not going to be discouraged. And so he writes by saying, if you look at this very personally, how great a struggle I have for you. The same word for struggle would be the word agony. He's saying, I am agonizing for your well-being. I am agonizing that, that, that you not be discouraged, but that you be encouraged in heart. I am, I'm agonizing that you would be knit together in love. And so, so these are the words that he's expressing to them, which I believe the Lord has for us as well today, as we consider who we are as a church and how important it is that, uh, uh, that we have a, uh, have a high view of, of, of life in the church. In fact, Paul wouldn't agonize over this church if it wasn't important to him, would he? Have you considered how important church is lately? Have you thought about the value of the body of Christ? Not just to Paul, but, but even to our Lord. How important is it? Because sometimes we can get discouraged with church, can't we? It's okay, you can be honest. Sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? I do. Church is filled with people, and people can disappoint. People can not meet expectations. I'll be the first to admit, if I haven't disappointed you or not met your expectations yet, just give me a little time, because uh, I will. You know, we're, we're human, right? And so, so we struggle sometimes with church. And so, so as I read Paul's words, I think, you know, he really thinks this is important. And then I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some other passages that help us to be reminded of, 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 of how important church is. Let's, let's look at a couple from the book of Acts. One of them is in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It's actually a verse that's written to leaders on how they should care for the flock, care for the, for the church. But, but notice as we read this verse that the value of the church really comes through. Look what it says. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for what? The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So, let me ask the question, is the church important? Okay, why is it important? Because we see that a very precious price was paid. And so maybe there are times that we get frustrated with the church. Or we get frustrated with people in the church. But, but you know what is a good reminder for me? It might be a good reminder for us. Is to look around the room and say, there's someone there that was purchased by the blood of Christ. And there's someone there whose sin purchased by the blood of Christ. That God has such a high value for this body, our body, our church, that he would give his life. Remember last week we talked about reconciliation, that in Christ we've been reconciled to God, that, that Jesus brought us to him as, uh, as, as, as to, to himself as his sons and daughters. Through Jesus Christ we've been reconciled. Well, this is the price. This was the purchase. Let's look again at how important the church is by looking at, uh, at how closely Jesus identifies with the church. If you're in Acts chapter 20, go back to chapter 7 for a minute. And here in chapter 7, we have the first person identified as a martyr for the Christian faith. Do you remember his name? Stephen. So Stephen is there, 
And he, he, he gives his life for the truth of the gospel. And what, what do we note about those who are watching? If you go into chapter 8, you'll see it says there at the beginning, and Saul approved of his execution. Think about that for a minute. Who is Saul? Who would become the Apostle Paul, right? Who is it that wrote the letter to the church of Colossae? Paul. So the same man that's so concerned about them being not discouraged, so concerned about them being knit together in love, is also the one who in his former life was present at the stoning of Stephen and approved of it. And let's continue reading in chapter 8. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions. So before Paul was a Christ follower, before Paul was one going and and, and taking the gospel to other places, we remember that he was a persecutor of Christians. He was one that that was fighting against them. So do you see the transformation that's been made in his life? Well, let's keep reading because something interesting happens here. Look at verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Go now to chapter 9. It begins by saying, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It goes on to say that he went to the high priest. He wanted to have a letter so that he could go and, and, and pursue people, even in the city of Damascus, that he'd have permission to go after these Christ followers. But something happened on that road. And it says that a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Now think about that just for a minute. Who has Paul been persecuting? People, right? He's been dragging them out into the streets. He's been pursuing people. Where is Jesus at this point in the story? We're already past his ascension, right? He's in heaven. But he's speaking down to to Saul, who has been persecuting people. But Jesus asks a question. He says, why have you been persecuting me? What do we take from that? Look at that close connection. Jesus identifies with the church in a very personal and close way. So again, I know it's, it's kind of a basic question, but I'm just trying to drive the point home. How important is the church in light of that information? And I know that, that we, can get, we can get out of sorts at times with the church or with people in the church, and, and sometimes they give us very good reason, don't they? It's okay, yeah, we do, yeah, we do. But behind it all, What's the takeaway for us? What's the reminder? That the people are the body of Christ. And he identifies with them. And yes, even when it's challenging, when it's hard, when, when, we, when we have to, to work through situations together, in the end, we are mindful of the fact that Christ died for them and that Christ identifies with them just as he identifies with you and me, right? So let's keep that part in mind as we see Paul writing a letter to a group of people that he's not ever met. He's concerned about their well-being because he has a high view of the church. He's he's convinced that, that this is the body of Christ, 
that they should be prized and treasured. And, and as he writes in his letter, knit together in love. Now, would we ever have any reason to have challenges one with the other? Would we might be going through a season where there's a lot of transition, a lot of change, regardless of what your background is, has been, whether from Ellisville or from Wildwood, we all would say, yes, we've been through a lot of change in the last few months. And so I want to say, first of all, how much I appreciate the fact that people have gone through the change as well as they have, because it's not been easy. It's not been easy. But it's provided an opportunity for us to be reminded again of how God sees the church and how even in, in inspiring the letter written to the church in Colossae that he wanted to communicate to them to be encouraged, to be knit together, to be knit together in love, as it says in verse 2. And this love is more than a feeling. You know, do you, do you, need, to be, do you need to love your family even when you don't feel like loving? Of course you do. Because love is more than a feeling. It's a commitment. It's saying, I've made a commitment to you, to a spouse, to a child, that, that I'm making a, a, a sacrifice, sacrifice, a willful commitment, that I'm going to put your needs above mine, your preferences above mine. This is part of what it means to love well. And this is what he's saying, being knit together in love. But we do know that there are opportunities where that's a challenge, right? It's not easy. Because I think by our nature, we're just ready to try to do things our way, to have our way, to be defensive. Is it just me, or is that how we... Okay, I know I'm that way. I'm just checking with you guys. Okay. See, that, that's the challenge sometimes, right? We, 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 we have a hard time with that type of love. It was something that happened in our family back um, when I was in junior high. And uh, I'll tell you this story because I, I, I still think about it and, and, and chuckle. It happened with, with my grandfather. Uh, he lived in Neosho, Missouri. That's where he retired Neosho, Missouri, and uh, he went to the senior center of Neosho every single day, and uh, he would tell us that he would go there to cheer up the old people. Now, now, mind you, he was in his 80s at the time, and so I wondered if there was anybody there that was older than him, but anyway, he went there to cheer up the old people, to play dominoes, and he got to have lunch there every single day. Well, somehow there was a conversation that was going on between him and another guy about what year it was that the New Madrid Fault had an earthquake, and it affected the Mississippi River so much, have you heard this, that, that some part of the river went backwards, right? Have you heard that? Okay, well, my grandpa, my papa, thought he knew what year it was. He said, it was this year, 1811, 1812, whatever it was. And the other guy said, no, 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 you're wrong about that. It wasn't that year. It was this year. And they, could, they couldn't agree. They couldn't agree on it. And so so they, they exchanged some heated words. And then one person hit another. And then someone else hit back. And I don't know who hit who first. I, I didn't get the story on that. I was in junior high thinking, wait a minute. My papa just got into a fist fight at the senior center. I can't believe this. What's, what's gotten into him? Well, when we did his funeral years later, I was shown a letter by my aunt that gave the rest of the story. He was, he was sent a letter by the senior housing or senior uh, 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 division saying, uh, Mr. White, you're no longer allowed to come back into the senior center for one month. So i tell you the truth. He was kicked out for a month. Probably the other guy was too. At least I hope he was. And so uh, it, it, the letter went on to say, now you get your meal here, here every day. You're, you can continue to get your meal. But you have to drive around to the back of the building and use the service entrance to pick up your to-go box. 
and then, uh, and then you can take your meal, and then you're welcome back after a month. Now, I want to tell you, I thought that was funny as a junior high student. If my mom comes back, please don't tell her that I told you that story. <laughs> she doesn't think it's nearly as funny as I did, but it just gives you a little taste of who it was. Now, if someone can come to, to blows over that, just think about what other silly things we could get into a fight about, right? And actually, if we look at where some of the conflict develops within families, within marriages, within churches, if we get real honest and we peel it all back, sometimes isn't it conflict over stuff that really isn't all that important? Can I get an amen? I mean, we see it, don't we? Well, let's, let's be on guard that we, that we look at things carefully because when it comes to getting along in a church, it's not just the words of Paul praying for unity of heart. Do you know that's something that was also important to Christ? Let me take you to John 13 very quickly. John 13 is the encounter of Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. So he has words to them at the very end of his earthly ministry. And do you realize that some of those words resonate with what Paul was saying to the church in Colossae? There they are, having the Last Supper together. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, evidently, Christ thought this was important that it would even be included as part of our mission to the world, that they would see the love and the unity that we have. Now, it's interesting as we think about the timing of this, it's not too far from when Jesus would, would go to the cross, right? And so we have Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We, in our tradition, typically think of Good Friday and, and consider that as the day that he went to the cross, that he died. But what, what do we think of on that Thursday before? Has anybody ever heard the ever been to a a a thursday service worship sir what's that called maundy thursday right and you know what that word maundy means means mandate a mandate thursday now if this is thinking about the the last supper and it's thinking about a mandate what might that mandate have been ah a new commandment i give to you so tied in with the, with the death and resurrection of Christ, tied in with some of his last words to his disciples, are, is this idea of, 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 of true love and commitment one to another. So it, it, it is so important that we hang on to that, that we don't lose the, uh, the, uh, uh, the emphasis on staying together and working towards unity, because I do think that it takes an effort to maintain unity. I think that it's something that we, we have to, to work at, that we have to, to see, okay, there's something that could, that could divide us. There's something that could cause conflict. Let's get out in front of it. Let's let it not blow up into something that it shouldn't be for the sake of our mandate, for the sake of our commission, for the sake of our ministry. Because if you think about it, if, if, if the adversary can, can fracture us over things and even over little things, what, what good will we be? in ministry as a whole. You see, even, even in a family, if, if a family's getting fractured over issues, it's really hard for the family to be functioning in a healthy way. 
whether that's marriage or parenting or whatever the situation might be. And the same is true for the church. So, so we have to keep that at the forefront and say, that's a value to us. And in fact, if you remember at the, at the uh, beginning of February, we were looking at our church vision, long-term, short-term. And do you remember that vision narrative? We had a picture frame and said some of it's up close, some of it's far away. But the up-close stuff that we were talking about, the next 90 days, the next year, what was the emphasis? The emphasis was coming together, the building of the fellowship, the, 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 uh, the, the idea of being unified in Christ, unified in the gospel, because we recognize that to be able to do the things down the road that we want to do, if we want to see disciples making disciples, if we want to be a church that's planting churches, we realize there's some things that need to happen first before we can do those things. Namely, we need to be unified. We need to be together. And that's going to take effort from all of us. And at times even saying, I'm going to let others have a preference over my preference. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to put the needs and the desires of others before my own, which, again, isn't natural for any of us. Now, might we have, might we have some opportunities to divide? It's okay. We do, don't we? We have differences of opinion. How many people in here have ever had the privilege of naming a newborn baby? Anybody named a newborn baby? Okay. And that's typically two people trying to come together and decide what to name a baby, right? If you hear Karen tell the story, we were, we were, ha- we were, she was about to give birth to Natalie, and I'm still not sure we have the right name for her. And I'm, I'm kind of second-guessing the whole thing as she's in labor. And, and I asked the nurse, I said, do you guys have one of those, those baby name books, you know? And they had one. And so I, I did, and Karen was not, she wasn't real happy that I was kind of reconsidering things. But uh, I was going back through it again. What does that name mean? Is it something that, that would really work well? Well, imagine having 700 of us naming a baby. You see what I'm getting at? We're trying to name this church together, aren't we? <laughs> and there's 700 of us that think, well, well, this sounds good. Well, what about that? Well, has anybody thought of that one? Well, that's a dumb name. How about we go with this one? So, so that's, that's kind of what we're in the middle of right now. Now, might, might it be possible for us to divide over it? Yes, it is. Now, should we divide over it? No, no, not at all. So, we have decided to take a different approach. And we have asked the congregation to help pare down the list of suggested names. And so we've worked through, pulled out duplicates. We've, we've picked out the ones that are already in use, some of them even in use in Wildwood that probably wouldn't be good for us to take. So we, we've, we've, we've narrowed the list down, and there are 26 names. And I'm going to ask each of you, each of you, go to the church website. Just go to fbcellisville.org name. And when you go to that site, you're going to see the 26 names there. And you can pick the three that you think are the best. And then we're going to see, what does the church family think? What will the survey say by the end of Wednesday night on which are the good names for us to move forward with in considering? So does that seem fair and reasonable? Did we get an opportunity to look at a longer list? All right, well... Uh, now it's up to you, and the problem is, I know that some people are still on spring break. So we're, we sent out an email on, uh, yesterday. Did, anybody, did you get the email? We're going to send it out again probably Monday or Tuesday, just in case some spring break vacationers missed it, because we want people to have input. And so then by Wednesday night, we're going to shut it off, and we're going to see what it says. And then we'll have a business meeting next Sunday, and we'll talk with you more about what the survey uh, has revealed. So it's been interesting to watch the trends that have happened 
And so uh, if you want to be a part of it, you are now being invited to help us narrow down that list. And in the end, if we don't get the name that I like or that you like, <laughs> I hope that we can say at least we're united in Christ, right? United in Christ. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. Oh, by the way, should have mentioned, if, if doing this online is not, is not appealing to you, you can stop by the welcome desk and we have hard copies and you can, you can take it with you. You can fill it out right then and there. Put your name on it. Why are we asking for people's names? Yeah, we don't want the, the, the ballot box stuffed, right? That, that kind of makes it unfair. So, so just do one, uh, whether it's online or by paper, and we will input this in for you so that we can get all the data compiled. But you can pick that up at the, at the welcome table on your way out today if you'd like to, uh, to do it uh, on paper. Okay, verses 4 through 7. Here we see him talk not only about their unity, but he wants this young church to not be content where they are, but to continue growing. And who among us here has fully arrived with all of the knowledge and all of the, 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 the ability to, to have the perfect walk with Christ? And of course, the answer is none of us. We all have things to learn. We all have areas to grow. We all have parts of our life that still need to be surrendered to the, uh, to the Lordship of Christ. And so this is part of what he's getting at in verses 4 through 7. Let's read it together. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There's that theme again. He's worried that they're going to get confused. We're going to pick up with verse 4 next week because there's another section that's coming that talks about being discerning. And it's very important for us as a church, so we're going to look at that next week. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here we have a picture, a picture of, of now that they have received. So that's where it all begins. And do you see the words that are used to describe what they've received? Jesus, or Christ, Jesus as Lord. You've received Christ. You believe that He's the Messiah, that He is the, the, the rescuer, the redeemer. You've received Jesus. Jesus means Savior. Comes from the, comes from the, the Old Testament word Joshua. So you have received Him as Redeemer, as Savior. And what's the third word? Lord. He's now in charge. He's Master. So that's where it all begins. And I will say, and I'll try to be as clear as I can, if you have not gotten to that point yet, that's where you begin. You begin by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You begin by, by recognizing your need for Him to forgive you of your sins, to transform your life. A new birth, really, is what happens. And so I ask you today, if you have not yet placed faith in Jesus Christ, today could be the day when that begins. I would love to talk with you about that. I know that those that are, that are in the foyer after the service at, at the starting line, they would love, love to make sure that you have that assurance that Jesus indeed is your Lord and Savior. So that's where Paul begins. But notice he says that it goes from there. This walk in him is to have deep roots, firmly rooted, deeply rooted. And so, so he uses a metaphor out of the agricultural world to say the roots are what give the plant stability, right? The roots are, are what tap into the nutrients. 
If the root system is not strong and good, that, that plant is not going to be able to yield the fruit that it was designed to yield. And so he's using that as a metaphor for our lives, that we need to be deeply rooted in what? In the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the word of God. It gives us stability, stability to, to, to be able to grow in our faith and to have a life that produces the fruit that Christ wants us to bear. In fact, there's a beautiful image of this in Psalm 1, the very beginning of the Psalms, where it gives the picture of a tree. Let me read it to you. Verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you realize that's the kind of life that the Lord wants you to have? A life that's abundant, a life that's fruitful? Not a life that's perfect. We know that there are storms. We know that there are seasons. But that's where that root system is so important. So that we have that stability to endure those seasons. And to be able to then see Him growing us and using us. So that's one of the the metaphors. The other one is is a metaphor that He uses out of the construction world. He says, built up. And that that would have been speaking to a foundation, something that's rock solid that you can build this house upon. You may remember the parable that goes with that, or even the song that you sang in kids' church, right? So the, the, the wise man built his house, right, on the rock, not the sand. Here's the foundation. And so he's saying, as a young church, I want you to be rooted, but I also want you to be founded upon something that is strong and firm. And again, he's pointing them back to Christ that their lives individually and their life corporately as a church would be founded upon something that was strong. Again, there was a lot of teaching out there, a lot of other thinking out there that could be confusing to them, that could lead them astray, as it is in our day. And so he's saying, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be united, but I also want you to have roots that are deep and a foundation that is strong. And then the next word that he uses The third one there is established. And so that just gives us a picture of something that is meant to last. Firmly established. And we want that for our kids, don't we? We want that for our grandkids, that they would have that foundation that would establish them in which they can build the rest of their lives. We as a church, we want to have that established for the future of our ministry together. That there's something strong that we're building upon. And that's why we go back to the gospel so many times. Well, all of this is only possible, as I said a few minutes ago, when it comes out of Jesus Christ being our Savior. Look again at verse uh, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I think that's another word for us to pull out. As we wrap up this morning, as we conclude this portion of Colossians, let's think about that walk. Let's think about how we're walking daily with Christ. And again, if your walk with Him hasn't yet begun, this can be the day where you take that first step. But if you are walking with Him, and I assume many or most of you are, that your walk with Christ each day would be one that, that, is, that, is, that is growing, that is alive, that is, that is flourishing. doesn't mean that we don't have, have difficult days or setbacks, but that we are founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, looking to walk in Him, to grow in Him, to be rooted in Him, as it says, built up in Him and established. I want to close with a a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, British pastor from 
the 1800s, he, he talked about the walk with God. And here's what he said. He said, walk with God and you cannot mistake the road. You have infallible wisdom to direct you, permanent love to comfort you, and eternal power to defend you. So church family, as we move into a new week, or from a bigger picture, as we move into a new season of ministry, as we move through the navigation of, 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 of choosing a name and establishing ministries and all these things, may we do so walking with God. Not by ourselves, not alone, but walking as He guides, walking as He provides. And may He be the one, ultimately may He be the one that is glorified with all that is done in us and through us. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And God, we know that it was preserved not only for the church in Colossae, but that you have it for us today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, first of all, draw anyone to you that is not yet firmly founded upon you as Savior. May this be a day of salvation for those among us that, is not, that have not yet placed their trust in you. And God, may we as a church be rooted and established and may part of that be the way in which you knit our hearts together in genuine love, genuine commitment and concern for each other. We thank you for the high privilege it is to be considered part of your church. And may we not ever lose, may we not ever lose the amazement of being able to identify with Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life, who purchased our redemption and allowed us to be part of His body. Father, we pray Your blessing upon our ministry together. We even pray about the selection of a name and about all of the other things that are happening among us now. And we pray, God, that You would be glorified in not only the results of these things, but may You also be glorified in the way in which things happen. We pray that it would be part of our witness to a watching world. We pray your blessing now upon the offering that's being received. May you use it to further your kingdom here in our community and around this world. For we pray this now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.